0: Today's sermon comes from Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him If you are the son of God throw yourself down for it is written He will command his angels concerning you and on their hands you will bear on their on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone Jesus said to him Again it is written You shall put the Lord your God to the, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test Again, the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All of these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him.
1: Some of you may remember a story I I shared a while back about a woman in Russia who sued McDonald's over an advertisement they had featuring cheeseburgers and chicken nuggets. Uh, And she sued them for this advertisement because she said it caused her to break her fast during Lent. That she had made this commitment to avoid Uh, meat and other animal products the six weeks leading up to Easter. And I love the quote that she gave. She said, when I saw an advertising banner, I could not help myself. I visited McDonald's and bought a cheeseburger. In her complaint she cited uh, the consumer protection law. Now, I will let the lawyers in this room decide if she had a case or not. But columnist David Brooks says something very interesting in regards to temptation. He says this, both reason and will are obviously important in making moral decisions and exercising self-control. But neither of these character models has proven very effective. You can tell people not to eat the French fry. You can give pamphlets about the risks of obesity. You can deliver sermons urging them to exercise self-control and not eat the fry. And in their non-hungry state, most people will vow not to eat it. But when their hungry self arises, their well-intentioned self fades, and they eat the french fry. Most diets fail because the conscious forces of reason and will are simply not powerful enough to consistently subdue unconscious urges. So if sheer willpower and reason are not ultimately effective in resisting temptation, then what is? What is your hope in the face of temptation? First, your hope is that Jesus was tempted like you are. His temptation was like yours in two ways. First, in kind, meaning the kinds of temptations you face, And second, in experience, how he actually experienced temptation. So what kind of temptations did Jesus experience? There are three in this passage. The first is in verse three. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Jesus had fasted for 40 days. He was hungry. And the devil came to him and tempted him to turn stones into bread, into food. Now on the surface, you may say, what's the big deal? I mean, when the Israelites were in the wilderness between Egypt and the land God promised, they were hungry and God gave them manna, which was food. Jesus is now in the wilderness. He's hungry. What's the big deal? He's God. If he turns stone into bread to satisfy his hunger. You say, is this really a temptation Satan's aim was to tempt Jesus to use his powers or his power for his own gratification to serve self rather than to serve others. In Jesus' three-year earthly ministry, he used his power over and over to save others and not himself to save others, to not save himself, to not gratify himself, to not impress others. Even till the last moment when Jesus is hanging on the cross, he chose not to use his power to come down, even though the crowd was tempting him to do that. He refused to use his power for self. He used his power to serve you and me. And that's why we're here today and in Christ if you're trusting Jesus. The temptation here is not just to to seek pleasure, to drink too much, to eat too much, to entertain too much to vacation too much. No, it's much deeper. The temptation here is to use the authority, the resources, the gifts that God has given you to serve self rather than to serve others. Now that's a temptation that hits home. That's a temptation you and I face every day, right? The temptation to use your authority in the workplace which God has given you to advantage self and to disadvantage others. Or to use the authority over your children that God has given you to seek your own comfort rather than your child's good. Or the temptation to use your money, which God has given you, to build your own kingdom rather than to invest in his kingdom. Or the temptation to use your humor and intellect which God has given you to impress people rather than to bless people. Jesus was tempted just like you are. But there was a second temptation that Christ faced. Verses five and six. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Again, what's the temptation here? I mean, what's the big deal if Jesus trusts his father to save him in a fall? Well, Jesus gives us a clue by his response in verse seven. He says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, that's a quote from Deuteronomy chapter six, verse 16. And in Deuteronomy six, there's another phrase added on to that quote that says, as you tested him at Massa. That was describing Israelites in the wilderness. And in their journey between Egypt and the land God had promised, they were short of water. They were thirsty. And in their thirst, they began complaining to Moses. And they began to question whether God was with them. And so God, in his grace, provided water out of a rock. Moses, Moses struck the rock in water flowed. The problem is that God's people in the wilderness kept demanding miraculous, supernatural interventions by God to provide for their need, not realizing that their place of need was because of their own sin. And so they kept demanding God to supernaturally intervene, The temptation here is to manipulate God, meaning to create a situation in which God is required to act. Now, let me give you an extreme example of this. This would be similar to what Jesus was tempted by the devil with. In an extreme example would be like you jumping off the Empire State Building in New York City to test God to see if he really loved you. right? Creating a situation that requires God to act. That's manipulation. If I do X, God is required to do Y. Now, let me give you some not so extreme, or I would say more subtle examples of this. I repented to God. I asked forgiveness for what I had done wrong. And he still has not taken away the horrible consequences of my sin. King David could have said that. That reveals a manipulative repentance that says, I repented to get something from God. Namely, he's got to take away the horrific consequences of my wrongdoing and my sin. I'm going to repent and he must take away these consequences. That's manipulation. Repenting to get God to do something or I prayed over and over that God would remove this situation, that he would remove this circumstance and he hasn't done it. And so I'm angry with God and I'm struggling to trust him. That reveals manipulative prayer that says I prayed to God to get something from him. I said it last week, but the core of manipulation is playing God. And aren't each of us tempted every day, every hour of every day? Aren't we tempted to play God, to control our life, to control our circumstances? Jesus was tempted just like you are. And that brings us to his third temptation. Verses eight to nine. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Now this begs an immediate question. Did the devil really own all the kingdoms of the world in such a way that Jesus had to to take a back seat and somehow strike a deal to get the kingdoms back from the devil? You could say, well, some of the scriptures seem to indicate maybe that. Ephesians 2.2 says that Satan is the, the prince of the power of the air, meaning this world. But when you look at the whole of scriptures, when you look at the gospels, what do you see frequently through the gospels? You see Jesus casting out demons from people. That clearly he is in control. You see, Jesus knew in this third temptation that the devil was lying. Jesus knew that the devil had no kingdoms to give away. So you say, well, then what was the temptation? Was there really a temptation here? The devil was tempting Jesus to obtain the crown without enduring the cross. It's the same temptation that Jesus would experience in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was tempted to not go to the cross because it would be so painful in a myriad of ways. The temptation here is glory without suffering. The temptation to seek glory, to seek prosperity, to seek earthly comfort and to avoid all hardship and all suffering, that temptation is real and you and I face it every day, and it's from the devil. Let me give you an example of this. Matthew chapter 16. Jesus says to his disciples, he says, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer many things, and I'm gonna be killed. And Peter kindly takes Jesus aside And he rebukes Jesus and says, Jesus, that shall never, ever happen to you. And how did Jesus respond? He said, get behind me, Peter. No, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me. The crown without the cross, glory without suffering, it's demonic. It's from the devil. One of the ways we see this practically play out in the church today is the prosperity gospel, which says, that your faith obedience and devotion to god will produce financial blessing and physical well-being and therefore poverty and sickness is evidence of your lack of faith and your lack of obedience and your lack of devotion to god the prosperity gospel is from the devil And while many of you may categorically reject the prosperity gospel, every one of us knows the temptation to resist, to turn away from, to try to avoid suffering and hardship. Every one of us knows the temptation that we face to see suffering as something to get around rather than a gift to steward. Jesus was tempted just like you are. And if you look at your various temptations and you start peeling back the layers on them, you will find that your individual temptations will fall probably fall into one of these three buckets, these three kinds of temptations that Jesus experienced. But he's not just like you in the kinds of temptations he experienced and you experienced. He was tempted like you are in his actual experience of temptation. Here are some questions that I've heard through the years around this topic. If Jesus was God, was he really tempted? Or was it possible for Jesus to succumb to temptation? Well, the answer is no, it wasn't possible because he's sinless. And he had to be sinless. Well, then you say, well, if he was sinless, was he really tempted? And the answer is a resounding yes. Hebrews chapter four, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in some respect. No, every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus experienced temptation just like you, but with one distinction. Your temptation comes from two sources. It comes from the tempting voice, whispering of the devil. But it also comes from your inner desires, the desires of your flesh. James 1.14 says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Jesus' temptation came from only one source. And that, that is the tempting voice of Satan. It didn't come from his inner desires because he was sinless. He didn't inherit the sin of Adam. Now you may hear that and go, well, because of that and the fact that he's God, you might argue that Christ's temptation was less severe, less intense than yours. The answer is actually just the opposite. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, explains this beautifully. He says, only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting it, not by giving in. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes Simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. You and I give in to temptation all the time. Christ never gave in, which means that he experienced a level of intensity. that far surpasses any level of intensity that you and I would experience in temptation, which means whatever level of intensity you experience in temptation, if you resist for five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, an hour, a day, Christ's intensity of the temptation he faced is far beyond that. And here's why that's so important. There is never a moment in your resistance of temptation that goes beyond what Christ experienced. That means he can meet you in it. He can understand. He can relate to you because he knows the intensity of that temptation. And he can sympathize and relate. Have you ever had the experience of meeting someone for the first time who has experienced the suffering or the hardship that you're going through? Or maybe you read a book of someone who has experienced the hardship or the suffering that you have been through, or you're going through, and they're able to put words to your suffering like they can speak it because they've been in it and through it and they speak it in a way, it just, it gives you words you haven't had. It, it makes you think something like this. They put words to what I am experiencing. I hadn't been able to put it into words. Meeting with them helped me better understand what I'm going through. It was so healing and so helpful. That's what Jesus is able to do in the midst of your temptation. You know, oftentimes we think that we have to help Jesus understand the intensity of our temptation. We have to somehow help him understand how hard it is to be sinful and be tempted that strongly when the opposite is true. Jesus is the one that helps us understand the intensity of the temptation we face and the action we took. He puts words to it because he gets that intensity of what we're facing. He puts words to what you're experiencing because he was tempted just like you. That's why the Psalms are such a gift. You can read a psalm. When you're facing temptation or just in general hardship or suffering, you can read a psalm and go, yes, that explains my heart. Oh, those words give me words that I didn't even have because the psalms are the songs of Jesus ultimately. What is your hope in the face of temptation? It's that Jesus was tempted like you are. But that's not it. That's not it. There's more. Jesus wasn't just tempted like you are. He actually resisted temptation for you. This passage is not ultimately a passage of, hey, look at the techniques that Jesus used to use to resist sin. Now you go use those same techniques to resist sin. That is not the primary meaning of this passage. And yet, we do that all over with the Bible. Go be like David and fight your Goliaths. No. You're not David. You're the scared Israelites in the tents, needing someone to fight for you. And here, no, you're not like Jesus in that you go use these techniques and it's some formula that's gonna give you the ability to resist temptation. No, this passage is that he resisted temptation for you. You say, how do we know that? How do we know that? Look at verses one to two. Then Jesus was led up by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Two phrases here that that trigger strong parallels to other stories in the scriptures. Okay, the first is in verse one, tempted by the devil. That brings us back to the first Adam in Genesis 3 who was tempted by the devil. And yet there's a a difference between the first Adam's temptation and the second Adam, Jesus' temptation here. The first Adam was in a garden, not a desert. The first Adam had every tree of the garden for food. And he gave in. with desert stones mocking him in his hunger. The second Adam here, Jesus, resisted and conquered the devil. The second Adam was victorious. In your place. In your place. Second phrase in verse two, 40 days and 40 nights. This represents Israel's 40 years in the wilderness between Egypt and the land God had promised. They spent 40 years in the wilderness. And during that time, they grumbled, they complained a lot, just like you and me. Don't ever read about the Israelites and go, wow, they were just a really complaining bunch. We are no different. We complain and grumble all the time. They grumbled, they complained, and they gave in to temptation all the time. In the Old Testament, Israel is called God's son. Israel, God's son, failed and gave in to temptation. Here we see God's son, Jesus, the true Israelite, resisting and conquering the devil. Jesus resisted temptation and conquered for you so that when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, he gives you a perfect obedience that has never given in to temptation. And that's by faith. Now, I said this is not primarily a passage about the tips and techniques that Jesus used, and so you go do the same. That is true. But I will say this, that the way Jesus responds to temptation here, the way that he resists resists it, teaches you how God strengthens you in the midst of your temptation. How did Jesus resist temptation? How did he respond to it? Well, I want you to know, first of all, according to verse one, that Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Just like God's son Israel in the Old Testament was led into the wilderness by the spirit, pillar of fire during the, at night, pillar of cloud by day, led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Also note here that after each temptation, Jesus quotes Old Testament scripture. And the three scriptures that he quotes after each temptation come from Deuteronomy chapter six to eight. Which chronicles Israel's testing in the wilderness when they were tested and tried and tempted in the wilderness. So let's look at one of Jesus' responses. It's the first temptation, verse four. This is a a quote from Deuteronomy chapter eight, verses two to three. Listen, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, Testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that. So that, here's the purpose. That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Do you hear what this says? God let them hunger so that they would be tempted. And then at times, he fed them with manna so that they would be tempted. Feast to famine, famine to feast. God is doing all of this so that they would learn to rest on his word and to trust in his word and not to trust in self, which produced the grumbling and the complaining that we see in the Israelites. The purpose of God bringing times of famine in your life. The purpose of God leading you into the wilderness situation is to grow you into greater dependence on his word, into greater dependence on himself. I love how commentator Leon Morris says it. He says, God didn't initiate the temptation because God tempts no one, James 1.13, but God can use the efforts of evil people and even Satan himself to set forward his purposes. The purpose of increasing your functional heart dependence on Jesus Christ. Say, what's this look like practically? This means that God leads you by his spirit into very hard, very difficult, very uncomfortable situations where you're tempted to use your authority and resources to advantage self and disadvantage others. Where you are tempted to manipulate God and play God to control the situation. Where you are tempted to seek glory, comfort, and success and reject hardship and suffering. God leads you into these hard, difficult In uncomfortable situations, so that you will be tempted and so that you will be strengthened to rely on Christ. Temptation is not a sign of failure, temptation is not a sign of weakness or shaky devotion to God. No, temptation is evidence that God has led you into a wilderness situation so that he can grow your dependence, functional heart dependence on Jesus Christ. In other words, God God leads you into wilderness situations out of his love for you to grow your dependence on his word and his son, Jesus. Christ dependence and not self dependence. Your ability to resist temptation does not depend on a set of techniques. Your ability to resist temptation depends on a deepening relationship with Jesus Christ. I remember years ago, we had a area of our yard that had weeds and we were under contract with True Green. And so they come out once a month, once every six weeks, they spray the weeds, they fertilize the lawn. And I'd always watch, they'd come spray and they'd spray these weeds and then they put that little slip on your door and it says, weeds will go away in two to three weeks. And sure enough, in a couple of weeks, the weeds would go away, but these weeds would keep coming back. So finally I called them and I just said, I need a consult out here. So, they sent somebody out and I'll never forget this conversation. He said, okay, is this the area with the wheat? Yes, this is the area with the weeds. Okay, I want you to look at this. Is there, is there a lot of St. Augustine grass in and around these weeds? I'm like, nah, it's kind of bare. He said, okay, let's, let's look over here. That's a, are there any weeds in that spot? No, there's not. What do you see there? I said, well, that's a lush patch of St. Augustine grass. And he said, healthy grass chokes out the weeds. Resisting temptation is less about pulling weeds as it is about healthy grass. Pulling weeds is like a set of tips and techniques to resist temptation. Healthy grass is like a deepening relationship with Jesus Christ. It's that deepening relationship with Jesus Christ that will enable you to resist temptation. So, where do I leave you? If God has led you into a wilderness situation that seems unbearable, and you are tempted on every side, don't be discouraged be encouraged that God has led you into this wilderness with great purpose to deepen your relationship with Christ so that you can resist temptation. And, and when you do give in to that temptation, Fix your eyes on the one who never gave in. Fix your eyes on the one who resisted for you so that he could take your failure and give you his victory. Let's pray. Father, there's a couple of things that are absolutely common to the human condition. Pain is one of them. Temptation is the other. And oftentimes they go hand in hand. Oh, Father, I pray for everyone here that may be currently or certainly in the past has been led into the wilderness, into a really hard, difficult, uncomfortable situation. That Father, you would encourage them and remind them that you by your spirit have led them into this situation and not to crush them. but to grow Christ-dependence, not self-dependence. Jesus, thank you for the hope that you give us in the face of temptation, that you resisted for us, and that by faith, we have your perfect record of resistance. And may that grow the healthy grass of dependence on you, love for you, gratitude for you, that our thoughts and our hearts would be fixed on you, and that in that place we would find the strength to resist temptation. Father, I love what we sang earlier. Christ holds us fast. The Christian life is not ultimately about us holding fast to Christ, it is Christ holding us fast. Father, would you, would you work that truth deep into our hearts in such a way that now we respond by singing joyfully right in the middle of the desert, in the middle of the wilderness where maybe we're hungry and thirsty. And may we sing and find our sustenance from you and you alone. We pray this all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.